I love that song we just sang. This is the art of celebration. Knowing we're free from condemnation. And um, we're going to have a look this morning at Romans chapter 8. And kind of a big of a squid back to uh, chapter 7. You won't be surprised that I'm kind of focusing more on chapter 8. If anybody knows the, Paul's letter to the Romans... You just want to spend all day in Romans uh, chapter 8, wouldn't you? You could just bathe in Romans 8, day and night, and do, please. It's just great. If you don't read the Bible much, um, if that's not your thing, um, I'd encourage you to try it. Um, And uh, Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8 is just joy. Um, And we're going to uh, look at, that's my title for today, which is a bit of uh, a strange title, but you'll come to understand what I mean when I get there. We're going to read together from Romans chapter 8, this this bit. Now, we're all in different versions, so what I thought we could do is if we have this version on screen, you can join me in reading this uh, from, this is verses 1 to 4 of Romans chapter 8. And we'll read it together. Now, maybe you want to just quickly glance through, get yourselves in a place where you understand what you're reading. Okay. That wasn't very long, I know, but there we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There is now no condemnation. Nothing. No condemnation. And one of the things I know as human beings we're really, really good at is condemning ourselves and possibly condemning others too. Um, Anybody want to put a hand up and accept the fact that every now and then they might have a bit of a condemn of themselves? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that it takes many, many forms. It's a curse. It comes at you with a little whispering ear, doesn't it? In the ear, a little kind of a thing in our ears saying, "You're not good enough. You haven't made the grade. You're not like them. You're you're not good enough. You never were any good." In the ear. Yeah. In the ear. In your heart. In your mind. Robbing you. Drip, drip, drip every day. And then along comes Jesus in his power. And says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Comes in so many forms. It can sound so reasonable. So logical. You can say, yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't very good at school. I didn't do very well. I didn't. I was, I was rubbish at school. Um, I left with practically nothing. And I could have believed that lie all my life. You're not very bright. But God tells me something different. I'm accepted and loved by him. One of the most powerful illustrations of this is an amazing film 
called Saving Private Ryan. Anybody? I see how many people have seen Private Ryan, otherwise I, I kind of will be floating in the dark a bit. Okay, um, if you've not seen I'm going to quick pricey. In this film, an American army captain in the Second World War, having landed in the nightmare of D-Day, is given the task of finding one soldier who is now the last surviving of four brothers. Some who have died. So this, uh, his mother had lost already, lost four. And he was going to be the last one if they couldn't get him home. So this captain draws together a small band of soldiers to go on a search. As time goes on, many of his rescue squad are killed. And when they find the soldier, our Private Ryan, he doesn't want to leave his unit as they're defending a bridge that needs to be held until the rest of the army gets there. There is a final battle for the bridge in which the captain leads a last stand and succeeds in keeping the Germans at bay. But he's shot and mortally wounded. Now, I'd like you to see a moving scene from this film. It's about five minutes, um, and it's in two parts. Um, I hope this won't distress you. Um, it's not gory. It's a bit of blood at one point, but it's not gory. Um, and I want you to listen very carefully. Now, I know that there are some some challenges with the sound so uh, if you if you um, watch very carefully you might pick it up let's see how we get on we do the first one yeah that's the captain and that's private Ryan
can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. And I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. Incredibly moving, isn't it, um, to see um, somebody challenged in that way. Um, I think the challenge of that moment, what does he say to him? Anybody tell me what he said to him on the bridge. 
earn this. Earn this. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, earn this. So for all its amazing moving words, for all the power of that film, and let me just say, I don't want to take away anybody's gratitude for the amazing sacrifice that people made during fighting in the war. But I would remind everybody that that is what Jesus said on the cross. It's accomplished. It's finished. It's done. We do not have to earn it. The challenge for Private Ryan in that film was that, sadly, Captain Miller condemned him to a life of seeking to find and live according to some standard, which he had no idea what it was anyway. And so that when he came to the end of that film and he was standing in front of that cross, he was saying, please tell me I've been a good man. Please tell me I've been a good man. And his wife turned and said, yes, you've been a good man. But Jesus didn't ask us to live a life like that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We can so easily fall into feeling we have to earn our way to heaven. Earn it. How many times have I helped today? How many good deeds have I done today? Have I done this? Have I done that? It's a free gift. And the reality is far too many of us believe that whether in our relationship with God or in our behaviour in life, we believe we have to earn our way to acceptance. You do not. Paul describes it like this, and this is my one reference back to um, Romans 7. I think I've got it here. Going the other way. Okay. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing the things I absolutely despise. This is Paul talking in in Romans chapter 7. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realise that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything 
and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who could do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And that's the very end of Romans 7 and then he goes on to say therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can't make it outside of Christ. You cannot. People try. They, people say, I don't believe in God. I think Jesus was a good man. And I think his principles are pretty good. I'd quite like to live by his standards. You know, I'll, I'll use the code. You know, the Ten Commandments. Well, that's in the Old Testament, mate. But if, if you actually think about what Jesus said, even he said, you can't make it. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 5 for me, there's the most amazing bit. Um, Matthew 5. What's Matthew 5 famous for, those who might know? The Sermon on the Mount. Yes? The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in chapter 5 of um, Matthew. He says, there we go. He says this. That's Matthew 5.20. Okay? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. Then he goes on in verse 20, says, 21, it says, It says in the law you should not murder. But I say, if you're even angry with your sister, you're in big trouble. If you say you're a fool, it's even worse. You say, don't commit adultery. This is verse 27. Don't, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you start looking at the scantily clad girls on the adverts lustfully, then you're in big trouble. He goes on to spell it out in very similar ways with respect to swearing, revenge, dealing with your enemies, how we pray, our approach to generosity, and pretty much everything else. He sets the bar where the, the people of this time have set the bar here. And this guy just about might clear it. But I tell you what, the bar Jesus sets, you'll never clear. God's standards, we can't do it. We just can't do it. Where does that leave us? There is, therefore, now no condemnation. In Christ Jesus. Because the spirit of life in Christ has set us free. But we've, and we've missed the point actually. If I've missed out. Look at 17 and 18 of Matthew. Have I got that on there? There we go. He was clear. He wasn't getting rid of the law. And Paul makes this point absolutely in that throughout Romans. He wasn't getting rid of the law. I'm not here to demolish it. And the message he puts it brilliantly. I'm going to put it all together. Pull it all together in a vast panorama. In most translations it uses the words, in what your Bible probably says, fulfill the law. I like that too. I'm going to fulfill the law. Let's stick that word the other way around and say... I'm going to fill it full. Yes? Jesus, through his death and resurrection, filled full the, the commandments of the law, the demands of the law, 
so that we did not have to be condemned by it or anything else for for that matter. He has come to fulfill the law. Can you go back to Romans 8? It's interesting because in Romans 8 it says this. I never remember what I've done on the PowerPoint. There we go. Um, Romans 8, somewhere it says in there, For God has not done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that... The just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You know, those whispers still go on in our heads though, don't they? There'll be whispers and lies, it's not possible, I'm not good enough. When I've got this all sorted out in my head, then then I'll be okay. I need to do this before I can be accepted by God. I need to do that, whatever. If I do this or that, my good deed for the day. You know what? Humanity's been bound up with that rubbish all through thousands of years. You know what we call it? Religion. Religion. I'm going to point out that it's utterly foolishness. And a complete failure. But we're continually, as human beings, universally drawn to this idea of doing stuff to get right with God. If I do this, if I do that, if I do the other. And we are utterly and totally destroyed by it. It is utter foolishness. As a weapon of the enemy, it is a masterpiece. It'll be quite controversial in this list. Religion says, do this, don't do that. Follow this practice. Read these books. Abide by these principles. Use these keys to success. Say this mantra a million times. Pray this prayer five times a day. Eat this bread and drink this cup. Immerse yourself. Sprinkle yourself. Sit in this position. Stand for this hymn. Kneel during this anointed song. Fall over when hands are laid on you. We cannot, by one of these steps, draw ourselves any, not one millimetre closer to God. You're sitting there thinking, really? It's true. Is it true? Yes, it is true. If you want to challenge me afterwards, come and challenge me. But I promise you, that is biblical truth, I'm telling you. Do not get yourself immersed in that kind of rubbish where you have to do this. You know, I haven't had my hours quiet time. Yes, of course, we'll come to what the answer is in a second. But don't get stuck on unless, unless, unless I do this, I won't have God's favour. God can't love you any more than he does right now. To the depths of his very being, he sent his own son to die for you. Does that mean we just do as we like? God likes that idea? And ignore the mess of this corrupt world? In Romans somewhere else it says, by no means. Look at Romans 8.32. We know that the whole creation 
has been groaning in labour pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, what did it say? Who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Our relationship with Jesus, our life in the Spirit, what does it bring out? The fruit of the Spirit. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will inevitably, as you grow in that relationship with him, begin to have the fruit of the Spirit. And what are the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah? Love, joy, peace. It's here we go. Yeah. Where, am I look? Where do I need to look? Galatians chapter 5, yes? Let's go there. Galatians 5. Spells this out. In fact, if we start at verse 16 of Galatians 5, we can see that Paul makes there exactly the same point he's been making in, in Romans chapter 8. Let's listen to, to this while you maybe look at the screen as well. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like that. We all know that. There's the mess of the world. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things are not inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit and produce these fruit accordingly. Out of our devoted focus, our love, our continual relationship with Jesus, this will come out of that. And I just want to confess after years and years and years and years of being a Christian, that when I am walking close with Jesus, that's what happens. When I am not, it does not. Anybody else want to own that? Okay. So we're agreed. We agreed about what the rubbish is, and where we can get lost, and how the difficulty is, and where we get in blind cul-de-sacs, but we also know the truth of where we can go and where we can be. The fruit of the Spirit. Come on. The love of God in Jesus puts you in a different place. A place of security. And at the end of Romans 8, there is such a beautiful, beautiful declaration of his love for you. Yes, can you go to the end of Romans 8? We'll go from... Yeah, verses 31 to 38. Now... Um, I'm not going to uh, read it. I said, well, I'll do this one. What I've done, I know I'm fiddling a bit here, but is I have created these sheets. And Sue has told me off because she said, you won't have printed enough. And I'm probably right. She's probably right. She usually is. Um, um, but what I've done is I have created a sheet that looks something like this. 
And I'm going to read one. And you can then do this. I've done this for the lovely Anne. Okay, so I'm going to read this bit. With God on Anne's side, like this. How can she lose? If God doesn't hesitate to put everything on the line for Anne, embracing her condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for her? Yeah? Annie, that's for you too. So you get a sheet with that. And then you fill it in like that. <clears throat> and then I'd like you to read it to yourselves. Or get somebody to read it to you, because that's even better. Brian, could you get a few of those around? And I will email you. Can you, uh, those Sue and Brian, you'll know roughly who doesn't have email. So make sure those guys get a copy. So there's a couple of people here who don't do email particularly. But um, I will email it out as well. So I'm going to read the whole of one. Um, I'll do it for Julie. With God on Julie's side like this, how can she lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for Julie, embracing her condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for her? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with Julie, one of God's chosen? Who would even dare to point a finger at her? The one who died for her, who was raised to life for her, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for her. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between Julie and Christ's love for her? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture where it says they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks, they pick us off one by one. None of this will faze Julie because Jesus loves her. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing living or dead angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between Julie and God's love for her because of the way that Jesus, her Lord and her Saviour, has embraced her. Lovely, isn't it? But that's the Word of God. And it's the Word of God to each one of you. How many was I short? Just a couple. Just a couple. I've got one here. Fantastic. All right. Nearly done. Just want to do one last thing. In the week, read it to yourself. Remind you that there is no condemnation. You are loved. I want to. Going to finish with a worship song. Yeah. Um, and I want to read the words of the last verse. You know, go on there. You put the song up in a minute. Okay, if you want to put a song up for me, Robin, uh, it's on there. In Christ alone. In a minute. I want to read you the words first, though. I've got them here. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, Robin. So you might change it right here. It's okay, wait. Yeah. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. 
No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Shall we stand together and sing?